And so I am thrilled that you're here. So we're in this, um, we're in this teaching series we started last week that has resonated, man, with a lot of people. And uh, it's this whole idea about how do, you, how do you deal with it when people are not really pretty to you, but they're ugly to you. And so what do you do about that? And how do you respond to that? And so we're kind of working through that that concept for a few weeks here at uh, Eastside. And I shared last week, and I, I really mean this, that I think there's a few things that are so real, man, and they're so big, uh, they mean so much, that I, I think a church probably ought to address it on a regular basis. And uh, this is one of those, and that's how to get along with people, and particularly when people aren't very nice to us. And, uh, and we're people, okay? And people don't deal well uh, when other people don't deal well with them. We just don't. We're people, okay? Alexander the Great said, the more I get to know people, the more I like my dog. Anybody understand that? Huh? And so, um, and so we're, we're kind of diving into that concept for a few weeks here. And uh, we introduced last uh, week this idea of kind of being backhanded, okay? And Jesus used that as a metaphor for when someone insults you, when they, when they treat you wrong, they hurt your feelings, let you down, disappoint you. And so Jesus kind of used the backhanded approach. And the question is, well, what do you do uh, when somebody does that to you? And everybody's been there, okay? We've all been at that particular point where someone has not treated us well. And so as a Christian, what do you do about that? And that's such a real thing for a lot of people that we said, let's just, let's just tackle that and play with it a little bit. Now, I don't want to make myself look too good here, but it happened to me recently, and I think I handled it like a champ, okay? I think I did really good. I was in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, those who's who-who, you might need more than communion, okay? So anyway... So I'm in Lexington and the location is important and I'm at a granddaughter's birthday party and we arrive and they find out there's an ingredient they need for the meal or something. They, they don't have it and somebody's gotta make a, ra- a mad dash to the store. And so, uh, Papa, will you, I'd be glad to help. So I jump in my car and I drive to a Kroger and I get out of Kroger and I'm jumping out of the car and I look down and kinda realize I am in full Louisville Cardinal gear. Now, in, in, <laughs> in normal settings, that's no big deal, but I am in the city of insanity. Y'all know what I'm talking about. So I go in the store, I find the thing, I, I'm coming out and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out and I go into this, this aisle and ain't nobody there and I, I go in to, to pay and the lady there checking out looks at me and says, uh, you're, you're going to have to wait. And I said, is the you know, your computer there broke? And she said, you're gonna have to wait. And I looked around, I don't see anybody. And I said, oh, you don't like what I'm wearing. And she said, you're gonna have to wait. And so I got the message. And so it's true, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. So I go through the, you know, the self-check, do my thing, get out in the car, I'm kind of laughing and crazy cat people. And I'm getting in my car, phone rings, they forgot another item, okay? So I go back in, so I go back in, find the item, I come back, same aisle, ain't nobody around, walk up, and she goes, you're gonna have to wait. 
So I could do the, you know, the self thing again, and I'm heading out, and I'm thinking, okay, what do I do about that? Do I, do I tell the manager, you know? Uh, do I go over and give her a piece of my mind? You know, what do I do about that? And I just walked by her, and she looked at me, and I said this, well played. And she said, you know it. So this lady wasn't going to wait on me because I didn't have her shirt on. And I think I handled it really, really good. My picture ought to be in Romans 12. You got to see my picture right there. Because some people don't handle it that well, okay? Some people don't do too well when somebody treats you that way. Um, Miss Etherine Pettigrew of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, she didn't handle it too well. But she was at the grocery store. She was in that 10 item or less deal there, and Vicki Lemons was in front of her, and Vicki was fudging a bit on the 10-item limit. And Miss Pettigrew <laughs> followed Miss Lemons out in the parking lot and confronted her and pulled a knife out of her purse and cut her nose off. And when the article hit the New York Times, Ms. Pettigrew was being held on a $1,000 bond, charged with second-degree reckless endangerment with two years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Now, you're probably somewhere between your model pastor and Ms. Pettigrew, right? You're probably somewhere in here. And that's where the little brother was in the beautiful children's book written by Judith Viorist, I'll Fix Anthony. Anybody read that book to your kids? Let me read a paragraph for you. It goes like this. It's a beautiful concept. The younger brother writes, my brother Anthony can read books now, but he won't read any to me. And he plays checkers with Bruce from his school. But when I want to play, he tells me to go away, he's going to clobber me. And I let him wear my Snoopy sweatshirt, but he won't let me borrow his sword. And mom says deep down in his heart, Anthony loves me. And Anthony says deep down in his heart, he thinks I stink. And mom says deep, deep down in his heart, where he doesn't even know it, Anthony loves me. And Anthony says deep, deep down in his heart, he still thinks I stink. When I'm six, I'm going to fix Anthony. Is anybody there? You got anybody you're ready to fix, huh? Would you raise your hand in total honesty? Anybody? Okay. There's about eight of you who can stay for this message. The rest of you go home and repent because of your falsehoods, okay? Because um, we know what that's like, isn't it? And so we're spending a few weeks kind of camping out in a portion of God's word that says, if you've ever wanted to fix Anthony, this is what you do about it. And so Romans chapter 12 has this um, powerful portion of scripture that talks about that. And gang, just by nature that God put it here, just by nature that we've got this compilation of wisdom in a local place in Romans 12, just by nature of the fact that is there, God knew we'd struggle with it. He knew we'd struggle as people when somebody backhands us, when somebody treats us ugly, he knew it would not come natural for us to respond in a pretty way. And so we're just kind of, we're kind of bouncing through Romans 12 and finding out, okay, what's in there and how do Christians handle it? And we don't handle it like the world, like the, the crazy lady with the knife in Milwaukee. That's not how we handle it. So how do we do it? 
And the paragraph starts with what we talked about last week. It begins with your mouth. It begins with what you say as soon as you're hurt. And that's very, very powerful. If what comes out of your mouth is the right thing, it presents the opportunity for healing. If what comes out of your mouth, when the hurt happens, it's just gas on the fire. And so he starts with that. We talked about that last week. Now, now what we're gonna do today is we're gonna find out where he begins to explain, here's what you do, okay? So last week, here's what you say. Now here's what you do, and here's what you don't do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we've got four or five life-changing verses if you've ever wanted to fix Anthony. So let me read for you from the 12th chapter, starting in the 17th verse, and I'll have it up here on the screen. You can follow along and just kind of get a feel for maybe what we ought to do and what we ought not do. Verse 17, do not. Somebody say, do not. Do not. You, come on, you ain't with me. Do not. Okay, everybody's there. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Doesn't that sound awesome? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I just kind of want to teach uh, today. I just, I just kind of want to teach this passage, and I'll apply it in a few different places, but I want you to kind of get a feel for what this section of material teaches followers of Jesus when somebody backhand you when they're not true to you. It really comes down to four kind of categories that we're told. There's something called the main thing in the text, and then there's the right thing, the wrong thing, and the hard thing. And so he just kind of walks through that in that passage, main thing, right thing, wrong thing, and a hard thing. And I just want to talk about each one as briefly as we can to kind of make it some application to your life. So let's start with the main thing. So he presents this idea that when you are in a setting where someone's not been kind to you, they're being ugly to you, there is a main thing that you've got to know. And the reason it is the main thing is because every other thing is secondary. This is the main thing. And he says it this way, the words that we just read, live at peace with everyone. That's the main thing. And I just want to put the cards on the table and make sure everybody hears this. I'm just going to be as blunt as I can. When we have a divided relationship with another human being, now stop right there and apply it. If there is a living person on earth that you're out of sync with right now, that is outside of the will of God. You may have come to a point in your life where you've settled with it and that's kind of how it is and that's just, you know, the way it is. It's never gonna be any different, but I want you to know that the main thing from this passage to the followers of Jesus is that is not acceptable for us. The main thing is always to seek peace. Now, that kind of struck me this week and I wanna tell you why. 
I've been reading through a um, kind of a manual about preaching. I'm 63 years old. I've been doing it for 44 years. I figure it's time to learn how to do it. So I've been kind of reading through some things because I want to get better at some things that I do, some better things with study and better things with how I make presentation and things like that. And so I'm reading through this. And I, I was dealing with this chapter recently that said that every church ought to figure out what is the end goal for your preaching time. So we have that every time we, we preach, whether it's me or one of our other staff guys up here, and we present the word of God, what is the end goal? What do we wanna get to? And every time we come in here and we hear somebody preach, what is the end goal of all that? And so I started thinking through that. I'm not real sure what that is yet. I'm kind of playing with different concepts and how to put it down, but here's kind of where I'm at, and I know I kind of got to wrap it down a little bit more, but I, I think the end goal, no matter who's up here, no matter what they're saying, the end goal is that we want to be able to take the truths of the Bible, and we want to make them crystal clear so that everybody understands them in a way that they can apply it in their life. Not just learn it, but when they walk out of here, okay, I'm gonna put that into practice. And when we put it into practice, watch this, we end up mirroring the image of Jesus. And I think that's kind of what we try to do here every week. Let's find a crystal clear truth of the word of God. Let's apply it into your life so that you can do something with it. And while you do that, we're all conforming our life to the likeness of Jesus, which is the mission of our church. So if we did that today, if we did that in this lesson, and all that we've looked at from right now is the main thing. And the main thing is we always seek peace. That is the goal. In every human relationship we have, we seek peace. And if we are not at peace with someone, it is outside the will of God. So that's as clear as we can make it. So if our end goal happened, that means this, that a lot of us would leave this room when we're done and there would be text messages made and there would be phone calls made and there would be coffee meetings set together because we've come to the understanding that any wrinkled relationship we have in our life is outside the will of God. And that's how Romans 12 starts. We've gotta understand that that is the ultimate main goal of our human existence with other people. Now you probably noticed when I read it that there was a caveat to it. And the caveat is this. We read it, but let's put it up there again. Can we put the next slide there? There we go. Check this out. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. And so when you look at that, it appears that he's saying this, that peace is not always possible. And so some of you, are, you're hearing that and you're going, dude, now you're talking my language, okay? Because what I got going on with somebody, man, it just ain't ever going to come together. And that appears to say that's true. You might have a human relationship that never comes together. But look at it carefully. When is the reconciliation of relationship not possible? It's when the other person doesn't want it. And so I want you to hear this. You cannot control the other person. You are not responsible for the other person. But you can control you. 
And so do us as followers of Jesus understand that we are under a responsibility that every relationship we have that ever gets sideways, that we have to do everything we can do to fix it. Now, will it not happen sometimes? Yeah, it may not happen sometimes because of them. But don't ever say it's because of you. So the main thing comes out of the text, and that, that's a pretty big deal. And then once you understand the main thing, then it kind of moves to this aspect called the right thing, okay? So let me talk about the right thing. And before I talk about the right thing, I want you to know this is gonna rock some of y'all's worlds, okay? Because once I figured out the right thing in the text, I didn't wanna preach this. I wanted to change it. I'm serious. I wanted to come up and make something different, okay? We're gonna have, you know, uh, you know uh, maybe Halloween party tonight, okay? We're gonna skip this because the right thing will penetrate you when you see what it means. It's crazy, crazy powerful. Now let me set it up. I wanna set up the right thing with something I read recently. And I, I loved it so much that I made a post about it. So some of you might, might remember it a couple days ago when I put this. So I'm listening to this uh, teaching by Peter Heck. And if you don't know who Peter Heck is, think back of August. He's one of our August speakers uh, when I was gone, and uh, he speaks, uh, preaches up in Kokomo area in Indiana. And so we had him down here. And if you can't remember him, he's the guy that had the rope and speaks 5,000 words a minute. Anybody remember? Okay. And you were amazed. This dude breathe. Okay. Peter Heck. And so I'm listening to him teach a message recently. And he talked about something that applies to the right thing of the text. And I want you to hear this. And get ready, because it'll, it'll rock you. He was talking about the Old Testament story that, man, I read forever about the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha. If you're not a Bible person, it's really simple. Two prophets, Elijah mentored Elisha, kind of helped him, okay? And so they were very, very close in relationship. And toward the end of all that, Elijah, the older one, gets news that his time on this earth is over with and God's gonna take him up into heaven and he tells Elisha that. He's mentored Elisha this whole time. He said, man, I'm going to heaven, this is over with. And Elisha was heartbreaken. No, you can't go. And Elijah said, you know, that's, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna go. And Elisha, the younger one, looks at him and says, you can't do that. And Elijah said, well, you know, it, it's gonna happen. So what do you want? Let me give you something before I leave. And Elisha said this, I want double your anointing all the goodness and favor and power that God has put on your life. I want double that, that's what I want. And Elijah said, okay. And so the day comes and God brings this chariot of fire from heaven and just picks Elijah up and Elijah's going up and Elisha's watching this and Elisha yells out, my father, my father. And if you've ever read that, you go back and look at it in the story, and it appears that Elisha is talking to God. But he's not talking to God. He's talking to Elijah. Because Elijah was his spiritual father. Elijah had devoted himself to the development of Elisha. And Elijah knew that he'd done a good job, watch this, because the younger Elisha, 
would be two times more everything he was in God. And so Peter, in a way that only Peter does, took that and challenged people in the church. Who are you a spiritual father to? Who are you developing? Who are you pouring into so that they will be everything and more than you are spiritually? Now that right now will mess with you if you think about it because a lot of us would say, man, I don't know who it is. And we're responsible for that, particularly the men in this room. You're responsible for that. Now take all of that and let's go to this thing called the right thing. So Paul's talking about this whole deal about, you know, what are you going to do when somebody, you know, backhands you and how you're going through all that and somebody's been ugly to you. And, and the goal, the main thing is, man, we got to get, get peace here. We got to come back together. And then Paul says, okay, I want you to do the right thing. And, and then he says this, watch this, do the right thing in the eyes of everybody. Now stay with me, particularly you guys. I want you to hear this. You men, I want you to come here, come here, check this. What does it mean that when somebody offends me and hurts me, that I'm gonna do the right thing in the eyes of everyone? What does that mean? Now, I read some commentaries who said this, that they think it means just because you write a commentary doesn't mean you have a lick of sense, okay? So there, there were some people who wrote that what that means is, okay, I'm in this setting, got a broken relationship, and so everybody's kind of drama, and, you know, everything's going crazy. And so just do what everybody else says is the right thing, okay? So that everybody's on the same page. I think that's about as dumbest thing I can hear because the reason you're divided anyway is because you can't agree on what the right thing is, right? That's not what that means. What does it mean? Guys, you with me? It means there are eyes watching what you do with this. There are eyes observing what do you do when somebody hurts you. How do you react to that? What do, you, what do you do as a result? Because there are eyes on you. And if you are a Christian and you work with non-Christians and somebody went crazy on you at work, this ought to be huge to you because they're watching how you respond. And if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, this should cause your heart to palpitate because those little eyes are watching what daddy does when he gets mad. Do what's right. We, we can't accept the fact that the relationship is apart. We gotta do what we gotta, well, they don't want to. Well, you still do what you gotta do. Because in the eyes of everybody, they are watching. Now, if you're not feeling convicted yet, okay, you're either asleep or I don't know what's going on with you. Well, let me throw this one to you. The wrong thing. So we talked about the main thing, the right thing. And you don't have to be much of a Bible student to realize that the brunt of this paragraph is the wrong thing. It discourages retaliation. 
So if somebody backhands you, you cannot backhand them in response. You can't do that. Now, that's kind of obvious. I mean, you would think we would say that in church, okay? You'd think you'd come to church and we said, okay, somebody treats you wrong, just hammer them, okay? Teach them a lesson. You'd obviously see that, but I want you to see that there's, there's something here that's kind of interesting, and I want to show it to you. He just, with clarity, says, do not take revenge, my friends. Don't take revenge. Now, would you look at the word revenge there? I want to show you something, what that means. And it's going to become really obvious to you. It's one of those words that kind of has a double meaning. We talk about that often here. The Bible does that all kinds of times. And you really catch the drift of what it's talking about when you hear the double meaning. One of the meanings to it is the idea of right. That revenge is right. And then the other aspect of the meaning is punishment. So, so what it means, the word revenge, that's used a couple times here, the word revenge means the appropriate and the right punishment because of behavior. So if you're speeding and they pull you over and give you a ticket, the appropriate punishment, the right punishment is you got a $200 ticket, okay? That is the right thing, why? Because you deserve it. That's what the word revenge is, okay? So think about this. So somebody treats you bad, backhands you, you're going through your stuff, and there's this part about you that says, okay, the right thing, what you deserve because of what you did, is this, I'd be able to do this to you because it is the right response of what you did for me. That is the word vengeance. It is the right thing for them to receive punishment. Now catch this. If you can't think of a person who's kind of backhanded you, think of them right now. Watch it. Here's what this says. It is the right thing that they are paid back. But as a follower of Jesus, you can't do it. Anybody remember the airline worker who's checking bags one day and the line's a million miles long and doing the best they can to get everybody through and this guy comes up and he can't believe it's taking so long and he tells the poor thing back there, you guys are the worst airline I've ever, unbelievably terrible. I don't even know how you got your job. I'll never fly this place. I mean, just barraging this poor lady. And she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We'll try to do better. Just totally calm. And the guy is just irate. And finally he takes off. He's met, next guy comes up and says, ma'am, I can't believe you were so calm. I don't know how you did it with that guy talking to you about that guy. She says, it's really, really simple. He's flying to Los Angeles and his bags are going to Boston. Okay. I like that. All right. What happened is you got what you deserve, dude. Okay. That is the right response for you being like that to me. That's the word revenge. Now what Paul does is he says, Christians can't do that. Christians can't do it. Remember how we talked last week that, that a lot of concepts in the New Testament, definitely Romans 12, 
they, they have this introductory thought to it that we live in a different way than everybody else in the world. We don't do anything like the world does. And so the world says, hey man, you deserve it because what you did, and I'm gonna give it to you. And the Bible says, yep, they deserve it. But here's what it says. Christian, you can't do it. You can't give it. Now, I find it interesting. I wanna show you this in the Bible. And some of you are really deep thinkers. It's gonna be good for you to hear this. He does not nowhere say that vengeance is not going to happen. He didn't say that. He didn't say they're not gonna get what they deserve. He never said that. He just said, you can't do it. But then he said, let's direct it to somebody else who can. And he redirects it to God. And so God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I wanna show you something that happens here. And I think this is a great thing for us to kind of think through. I wanna show it to you in the Bible, and if you have a copy of the Bible, it will help you, but if you don't, I think I can kind of explain it a little bit. So I've got my Bible open to Romans chapter 12, and obviously it moves into chapter 13. I don't know if you've ever caught this. But in chapter 12, it talks about the idea, you know, what do we do when we get relationships, you know, sideways, all that kind of stuff. Here's how you respond as a Christian. He makes the comment. Now, Christians don't, you do not seek revenge. We don't do that. And then he says in chapter 12, everybody stay with me. In chapter 12, he says, but God will. And the idea of God paying back for evildoers is flooded throughout the Bible. There are places in the Bible where we learn that God will discipline people while they're on this earth when they make stupid decisions. There's the ultimate understanding that at the end of the world, for people who have not followed his son and have lived ungodly lives, there will be incredible punishment given to them. In fact, in that place, it has this interesting phrase. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a fiery God. And so in chapter 12, he says this. Some, somebody been doing this to you, okay? And you can't come back at them, you can't do that. Here's what, here's what Paul says, but somebody else can. God can. God can give the right punishment. You know what I found out? And it shows you the horrible person I am. I've learned that he can get back at them way better than I can. Now, this is a fascinating thought. Chapter 12 then moves straight into chapter 13. And chapter 13 talks about that God has placed government authorities in the world in order to punish evildoers. And so if you had to ask me, how do we respond as Christians when, when someone I mean, they deserve punishment because of what they did, man. They deserve it. It's the right thing. Here's what the Bible says about vengeance. And just kind of look at it, and you'll, you'll catch the concept that's throughout the whole Bible. So in the concept of vengeance, can God get vengeance? Absolutely. Can government and authorities administer vengeance on wrongdoers? Absolutely. Can individuals know? And so if somebody hurts me in a terrible way, 
Let's say they bring an incredible painful thing into my life. Can God punish that? Yes, and he will. Can government come down on that and bring punishment? Yes, and they will. Can I go over to their house and beat the living? No. Because Christians don't have that right. That is given to God and the authorities. And so breathe for a second. Here's kind of where we're at. And I don't think we've really even talked about the point of the message yet. So so watch this. Somebody's backhanded me. What am I supposed to do about it? Okay. Number one, peace. Okay, that's the goal. That's the goal. Number two, I'm going to do the right thing. Reason I'm going to do the right thing because I got people watching me. And I want them to learn the right thing when their eyes on me. Number three, I can't retaliate even though they deserve it. I can't do that. But that's cool with me because he will and he's nastier than me sometimes, okay? So that's cool. And then the text just kind of builds itself to this. And that is called the hard thing. And here's the hard thing. Do something nice for them. That's what it says. They are ugly to you. You be pretty to them. But that's not what they deserve. It's not the point. When they're ugly, you be pretty. And so here's what he says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Anybody want to look at that right now and go, have you lost your mind? Why would he say that? That's what you do when somebody backhands you. You got to fix it, man. That is the goal. Peace. There are people watching how you deal with this, who you will influence for the rest of your life. You got to do this, but they deserve it. That's, that's God's deal. That's not your deal. You do something nice to it. Why would he say that? I was, um, a couple weeks ago, I spoke at a men's conference, and at the, um, toward the end of one of the evenings, they put the men in kind of groups, and we were to kind of tell stuff going on with us, and, and one of the guys in the group that I was there uh, said that, he said, I don't know about how you guys are, but sometimes I can be kind of mean to my wife. And uh, we were in a, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about, bro. And then he starts talking and we're all, yeah. And, and he said, you know, sometimes I can have kind of a bad attitude and I kind of be in, you know, my own world and not treat her as well as I should. And I, I just fall into that from time to time. And he told us that when he would come home, and he'd been in that mood for a week or so that if his wife was waiting with both barrels, any of you ladies know what I'm talking about? Come on, okay? Any ladies know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I thought we had some godly women in this church. So he said, when I, when I would come home, and remember, he's in a little group of men, man. He's totally transparent with us. He said, when I come home, if my wife has both barrels waiting on me and she starts firing, he said, it's like gas on the fire to me and I respond really bad. And then he told us this and it struck me. 
He said, but that's not the wife God gave me. Because she's smarter than me, and she's holier than me, and she knows so much more about God than me. And my wife responds to my nastiness by treating me good. And he said, I will come home after a week or so that, and I think I'm going to get both barrels, and she will have fixed my favorite meal. I will sit down to eat, and he, and he said, now she's still got a little attitude. She ain't talking, okay? But it's my favorite meal. And I start eating it, and, and I'm expecting an argument, but here she is rubbing mashed potatoes in my face. And he said, every time she does that, it melts me. And I say, honey, I'm so sorry for being such a jerk. And what got me was she did something nice to the person who hurt her. So why did Paul say that? Because it's hard, man. Paul said that because revenge doesn't work. What works? Being pretty. That's what works. And sometimes you got to be pretty over and over and over and over. But pretty softens a heart while vengeance hardens it. Now, if you're an Eastside person, you'll remember me telling this story. If you're new, it'll be, it'll be good to you, but um, it just fits so good. So a true story, a um, lady by the name of Kim Nall, or I remember her name, N-A-L-L, uh, because she became a little bit of a, a, an author to some degree, and Kim had something happen to her and her daughter one time, and she wrote about it, and it got published in a national magazine. And what Kim had done is she went... Um, to a little date day with her little daughter one time. And, and they were having lunch together. And they were sitting there, and they're having lunch. And the food came. And Kim asked her little daughter to pray. And uh, I can't remember how old the girl was, but I kind of get an idea, maybe, you know, maybe five or so, something like So the little girl starts praying for their food. And it's something like, you know, thank you, Jesus, for this day and for my mommy and my daddy and our food. And she ended it by saying, and Jesus, please tell mom, Mommy to get me some ice cream. Amen. And it was a cute little prayer. And there was a lady sitting next to them at a table. And she was kind of watching this whole thing. Kind of a mean, old, nasty, old, grouchy lady. And she heard that. And she said, well, I never. That's what's wrong with America. Kids asking God for ice cream. How bad can things be? And Kim said, her little girl started crying. And she was crying because she thought she prayed wrong. And she said, Mommy, did I, did I say something wrong? Did I pray wrong? And she said, no, you didn't pray wrong. And so she just kind of calmed her down a little bit and uh, finally got her where she was okay. And Kim said, well, now I got to order ice cream now. So she ordered ice cream, and they're eating ice cream. And an old fella started walking by the table. And he bent down by her, and he'd been watching it. And he said, I happen to know that God thought that was a great prayer. And she said, really? He said, yeah. He said, ice cream is good for the soul. And the old man left, and Kim wrote in her little article that they kept eating ice cream, and then all of a sudden her girl got up, and she picked her ice cream up, and she walked it over to this lady's table, 
and she put it on her table and she said, here, ice cream is good for the soul and my soul is already good. <laughs> Pretty softens ugly. So go do the hard thing. Father, I thank you for the great wisdom of your word. It seems whenever we dive into it, Lord, and open it up with open minds and soft hearts, it just seems there are always these nuggets that come up about how we're to live our life that we would have never thought of on our own. And so I pray for our church family. I pray for me. I pray for anybody who's going to be here this weekend and all the situations that we have where things might not be right with somebody. Would you give us the strength and the faith? Would you help us to take you at your word that this works? Put your power on it. Heal relationships. Bring people together that never in their life ever thought they would be. And we will give you the praise as we mirror the image and the likeness of Jesus to a dark world. All the praise to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all.